So I want to speak to you tonight about success in the seasons of life. Genesis chapter 8, beginning at verse 20. Genesis 8, 20. You can stand if you'd like just for a moment. We're all trying to stay on track and stay scheduled and have a feel about this month. And this coming Sunday, uh, I'll be speaking on a topic related to family. But I am very mindful when I talk about family that it means a lot of different things to different people. Your season of life and your station in life is different. No, two people in this room have the exact same history or situation now. And family means a lot of things. And I'm comforted by knowing that God sets the solitary in families. I'm comforted when I read the scripture and I find that they did not have perfect families in Israel in the Old Testament, that there were orphans and widows and there was dysfunction, there was favoritism between parents over children. There were all, everything that exists today existed in the Bible in terms of family structure and dynamic, except today we're probably living with an epidemic of worst-case scenarios. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma, sweet-smelling aroma, the King James says. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. My subject tonight is success in the seasons of life, and you may be seated. My goal is to uh, try to encourage you to not think that you go through life and treat every season the same. That you need to have different equipment for different seasons, and you need to approach the seasons of your life understanding that season and what you should be doing, how you should be thinking in that season of life. They are not the same. And the Bible gives us the practical, natural world as a comparison of the spiritual and the life world. If you can get insight from the Scripture and be at peace with God in your season in life, You can live less frustrated, less stressed. If you know the season you're in, you can learn to live gracefully at this particular time or season in your life. So it's important to synchronize your life with God's purposes, to learn how to be a laborer together with God. In other words, figure out what you should be doing, how you should be thinking at this particular time in your life. There are people here at different stations in life, We have uh, single folks in this room tonight, and some are single, never married. Some have been divorced. Some have been widowed or widowers. We have every composition you can imagine at Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. But a lot of anxiety and frustration that people feel is because of unfulfilled expectations of life. They think life is supposed to come in in a certain way, should be a certain way. And when it doesn't, We're disappointed. 
You may remember when Naomi came back to Bethlehem, Judah, in the beginning of the book of Judges, she said, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, because I am bitter. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Well, we're not sure the Lord dealt bitterly with her, but her husband died, her two sons died. She was left with two daughters-in-law. She was coming back home, a very broken woman. But when you read the book of Ruth, you realize that all of that was in the purpose of God, that God had a plan for her life. Amen? And our attitude and outlook makes all the difference in the world to learn to accept God's design of the seasons of life. We're very familiar with Ecclesiastes 3 in Christianity and out of Christianity, out of Judaism. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. And Solomon goes on to talk about the time to be born and the time to die. And of course, everything in between. I'm not going to take the time to go through Ecclesiastes 3. But he was right in saying to everything, there is a season. There is a time for everything. So let's just get a picture of the natural world. Uh, After the flood, Noah offered sacrifices and the Lord accepted it. And he made a commitment, a promise to man. We know that God made a covenant with the rainbow in the sky. And he said that as long as the earth remains, there will be seasons. Now the seasons of the Middle East and the seasons of North America are different. He called them seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night. And he said these seasons will not cease. And while the earth remains, and I want to just take a moment to kind of pull out that phrase that while the earth remains, as long as there is an earth, these seasons will persist. But he also gave us an insight that while we live in this life in seasons, that eventually they will cease and eternity will begin. Now we are here for a time, but life goes on after this life in eternity. So we live through seasons knowing that they pass away and the earth passes away. The Lord said there will be no disruption to this seasonal cycle as long as the earth remains. It will always be this way. Now, I was raised in Miami, Florida, and seasons were vastly different than they are here. When I talked to my mom on the phone, and it's 50 degrees and she's freezing, and it's 29 degrees here, I just smile. If you were to go there now, everything is green. It doesn't look any different year long. Our vegetables and many things that we buy this time of year are grown there in the growing season. Uh, she just sent me Florida avocados a couple weeks ago, the last ones for the entire year. They're like gold around our house. But while the seasons are different there, they still have seasons just the same. Even though the grass doesn't turn brown and most of the trees, while they lose their leaves, they never are without them. So we kind of are used to the four seasons of spring, summer, autumn, and winter uh, in our part of the world. And of course, there are scientific explanations with the rotation of the earth and uh, all kinds of changes that take place. I don't want to try to get into the vernal equinox and the autumnal equinox and what causes that. That's really not important tonight, except to just say that God created them. He designed them. And your life and my life has seasons as well. And they are designed by God. 
And if you don't understand them, you're going to be frustrated. These were set in motion by God. They were for lights in the heaven for seasons, he said. It's interesting to me that when Jesus was talking about end time prophecy, he said, when you see that the fig leaf puts forth her leaves, you know that summer is nigh. There's a precursor to summer. That tree is putting out leaves and you know that summer's on the way. You shouldn't be caught off guard by the next season rolling around. There are some things that begin to change to let us know. And in the same uh, spirit of that, I want to say to you that you shouldn't be shocked by the change of seasons in your life. Some may come suddenly, like the loss of a spouse that you may not have anticipated, but most of them are to be expected. And since Noah's flood, it has always been that way. Now I want to... uh, uh, the Bible talks about a, a, a vineyard owner. Excuse me, I was thinking of the next text in Mark. A vineyard owner. And he knew that harvest time was coming around, so he expected a harvest and he sent servants to go reap it. He was in anticipation of the next season that was coming around. In the book of Song of Solomon, Solomon spoke about the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the sea singing of birds has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. We know that the season has changed and it's time for us to move on. James taught us to be patient for the coming of the Lord. For the farmer is patient for season. So while my subject is not patience tonight, I think it's very important to understand that life has seasons that you have to be patient where you are right now and you need to get in sync with the seasons. You've got to be in tune with God. If you live in Iowa, right now you're not planting anything. You're just trying to stay warm. I have a friend that lives in Iowa and he farms corn and soybeans and right now Brother Fee is making sure the equipment is all ready when spring rolls around. You can frustrate yourself to try to go work against the season that you're in in your life right now. If you're going to try to plant corn right now, you're not going to have a harvest. You might as well give it up. In Psalm 1 that I spoke about a few weeks ago, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. Now the reason I'm taking the time to talk about this is everything doesn't happen in life all at one time on purpose by God. And I believe that there is a season of blessing that follows a season of humbling and testing and God allows us to mature. Even in ministry, the Bible says that if you're going to put a person in ministry, that you should not put a novice in ministry, lest being lifted up with pride, he would fall in the snare of the devil. You don't want to put a person in a place of responsibility too soon before they're seasoned, before they are seasoned, because it would be to their destruction. You have to cooperate with where you are right now. So I'm going to talk about that tonight. Now someone suggested that it would be great if you could live life backwards. Think about it. Die first and get it over with. 
Think about it. Wouldn't that be great? You can enjoy all your retirement years without all the aches and pains that go along with it, and you gradually start feeling better instead of worse. You could watch your children gradually get younger. You could see the wrinkles disappear in your spouse's face. Their hair would grow back. Your husband's bulging belly would turn back into a six-pack. You would graduate from college and high school. You'd gradually go back to your teenage years. You would have all the wisdom of having died first and lived that first, and you know all about that. Then you go to childhood. You spend the last few years sleeping and playing. Spend the last nine months floating around in water. And that would be the end. If you just could live life backwards. But it doesn't work that way. But in forward motion, you need to understand life, right? So we know that there are seasons of life, early childhood, maybe birth to four years. And there's a lot of variation in psychology behind this. Middle childhood and early teen years, later teen years, early marriage years, or early adulthood, middle adulthood, later adulthood, and all of those plus more are seasons of life. And you're going to go through transitions. I spoke here before several years ago about change. You're going to spend most of your life in one of what some people say are five periods of intense psychological change. You're going to spend your life going into change, changing or coming through that time, and preparing for another season of life. That's just what life is. And if you're going to be successful at the season you're in, you have to prepare for it, you have to have understanding of it, and you should act the part when you're there. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child. It was a season in my life. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I went into a new season of life and I had to grow up, take responsibility, and I couldn't say the things I used to say or think the way I used to think. I had to change my behavior. I had to grow up. Now this is the illustration I had in my mind. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, the words of Jesus. And he said, The kingdom of God is as a man that should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth, and I spoke about this at the business meeting, but I'm going to do a totally different aspect of this. For the earth yields crops by itself. And I want you to notice the stages of development of the plant. First, the blade. Then, the head. This is wheat or some type of grain. Then, after that, the full grain in the head of wheat. But when the grain ripens, the last stage of development, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. When that seed is in the ground, it's in a season. Now, I'm kind of breaking this down a little smaller, and the goal is to germinate and then to become, to poke through the ground and to be a blade. Now when you see a little blade sticking up out of the ground, whatever you planted, 
you look at that and you celebrate progress. It's not yet matured. You can't eat it yet, but you're happy for where it is. Now, I'm going to kind of jump around, ramble, because I have a wide audience here. Everybody from grandparents like my wife and me, uh, empty nesters, but most of us, the nest isn't empty that often. You know, it's just empty occasionally, but, you know, when there's a really good meal, the nest is full again, right? Mom's house. We try to make that Monday night. But you have, you have a child. So for a toddler, you may say that in this season of your life, potty training, this is a really big deal. You're going to learn to talk. And again, I'm not going to try to get into a lot of developmental ideas. But here is the blade. I'm talking about success in these seasons. So you have to, un- you have to understand that it is successful like it is. And not to beat it down because it, you can't eat that grain yet. And if you expect too much too soon, you frustrate a child and it will never reach its potential, that boy or girl, because you're not accepting where it is. The same is true of a person that's new in the Lord. You want them to know what it's taken you 20 years to get or 40 years God's still working on you and you expect that new believer to get it all in three weeks, you know, and it just doesn't happen. But the Lord said it's first the blade and we're going to celebrate it and treat it with care. We're going to cover it from frost if we have a late frost in the planting season and we're going to know exactly where it is. Then it's the head is growing up and now you see that it's maturing some and you're going to accept and celebrate that. And then the full head of grain, the ripened grain, and then the harvest. I think you get the idea that at every stage of development, we want to celebrate where it is, but we know that it cannot stay there in a protracted, a protracted infancy. We're not going to celebrate it six months later if it hasn't moved on. And if a child isn't maturing and growing, we're concerned about that. And if a Christian isn't maturing and growing, we're concerned about that. And the analogy that the writer of Hebrews was, was for the time you've been around long enough that you should be mature, but you're still on the bottle. You've got to mature as you grow older. Wisdom is not an automatic, it's not a given. So success for the toddler looks different than success for the student. Our brother Joel was talking to one of the Young people in our church recently who has aspirations for great things in their life. And he said to them, what you really need to be thinking about right now is good grades in school. Because you're not going anywhere if you don't do well in school right now. You're not going to college. Nobody's going to accept you there if you don't have, if you don't graduate, if you don't make good grades. So we need to say at this season in the life of a child or grandchild, What are the goals? What should be happening right now in preparing yourself for life? For a young adult, what a a tremendous time and uh, for our impact students, our hyphen age, about educational choices, career choices, maybe even life partner choices. Those decisions that have to be made there in that season are extremely critical and we want to equip people along the way. I'm going to just drop something in here Uh, Years ago, teaching parents 
uh, about their young people. When I was too young to know, I was an expert, right? Before we had our own children, I was an expert on teenagers. Before we had teenagers. But I read and I observed something. I studied a lot about you know, young people, adolescents, and parenting. That I called it the little Johnny syndrome. Because parents of children sometimes don't make the transition to how they should parent an adolescent. I've seen, uh, I'm trying to make this real generic so I don't give anything away. I've seen parents who were incredibly strict on their children until they became an adult at 18 and say, God bless you, there's a door, take off, you're grown now. But along the way, they controlled everything in that child's life while they were growing up through their early teen years, later teen years, and just expecting them to go. Jim Sleva, my good friend who works at uh, Indiana Bible College, used to work in a, in a home for delinquent boys. He said those guys had never made a decision for several years. They were told when to get up, when to go to bed. Their day was extremely structured. When it was time for them to get out of there, he said they would come to me full of fear. They would say, Jim, we don't know what to do when we leave here. They've never made a decision. So as a parent, and you're parenting your children, you have to understand early on, I want you to understand, yes, no, don't run out in the street, do what I said. You don't, may not get an explanation. I want you to learn to submit and obey. But as you grow up through your early adolescent years, I want to begin trying to give you a little slack. Make some decisions. Maybe you'll make a mistake or two. But I'm not going to wait till you're 18 and just throw the whole world at you at one time. You've got to give some responsibility. That's the season you're in. So if you're never equipped while you're growing up to make wise decisions, if you've never had the guidance of a parent, a parent should change roles from an authoritarian role to more of a guidance role. And it's gradual, not all at one time. It's not at 11 or 12. And it certainly should be by the time they reach college age that they know how to make good decisions and they can refer back to you. Which, by the way, at a certain point, they don't have to ask you if they don't want to. So you might as well work on developing a relationship where they want to talk to you and seek your advice. And you do that by developing a relationship, not just proving that you're in charge till they're 18 years of age. You see, the success at those seasons of life, you've got to know who you are and the role you have at that time. And you've got to know who you're parenting or leading or working with so you know what they need at that season in their life. Because life moves and changes and who you are and who you're affecting is, is a moving target. Many times teenagers who are going through all the hormonal changes of, of adolescence and puberty have parents who are going through midlife crisis. Moms are going through traumatic changes physiologically. And I've told parents before, the last thing your child needs is a parent who's bouncing off the walls while they're bouncing off the walls. Well, they're emotional and up and down and all over the map trying to figure it all out. The last thing they need is you who, do, who doesn't understand your place in life. Amen. Lots of decisions in several places in life and knowing how to make those decisions. 
and his parents. I, I love James Dobson's illustration of this. He said that parenting is like flying a kite. And he said, you've got a kite on a string and you're holding it and you can't get it off the ground. And you get it up and it crashes and it's pulling on, you know, bouncing all around. And finally, finally, you get a little, you know, distance and the kite is starting to fly higher and, and higher. And now the kite's pulling on you. And he said, but in parenting, you're continuing letting more and more line out till you get to the end of the string and then you let it go. And the Bible says, let a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his own wife. If you want to set your married children up for failure, meddle in their marriage. Brother and Sister Hall spent their whole life ministering in military contacts and ministry contacts. And I'm sure they have more war stories than we could even comprehend. But you should be there. You should be available. But you should not meddle in their marriage. I had the most wonderful mother-in-law in the world. Now I had a friend. He said, if you want to know the definition of mother-in-law, open the dictionary. And he said, the picture of my mother-in-law is there in the dictionary. He said, I didn't have a very good mother-in-law. You know, for him, mixed emotions would be seeing his Corvette go over the cliff with his mother-in-law in it, you know. That, that's mixed emotions, some people say. <clears throat> I should probably drink water right now. <laughs> My wife's mom was, was very intelligent, well-read, strong opinions, never one time. Now, he, she might correct her daughter, but I know she probably could have had a whole list of things. But she was wise enough to know that if you meddle in the marriage, you're going to create problems. This is a, I'm talking about success in the seasons of life. And I'm meddling a little bit tonight because I want to try to help you think about how you conduct yourself in a season. In my newsletter article, I, I wrote this line that maybe it didn't make any sense to you, but it's really made a lot of sense to me. That we tend to reproduce what produced us. That's why child abused children often become child abusers. I don't want to try to develop or defend a theology here, but I've discussed this with Dr. David Bernard, a general superintendent. I do not find in the Bible... What some people will say are generational curses. I believe that there are patterns that are passed on. You're not going to find that God is allowing a curse to be passed from a generation to a generation. But certainly the way people are raised tends to be what they know. They didn't go to school to learn this. So you just reproduce what produced you, the things that produce you. And so it is perpetuated in generation after generation. But when we come to God, we are a new creation. But just because we have the Holy Ghost doesn't mean we have a changed personality. It doesn't mean that we are brand new in the way we think. We tend to be like we were raised. That was the model we had. There's no textbook. Well, there are lots of books now. But your parents weren't probably flipping pages in a textbook and saying this is what you do at age 5 and 8 and 12 and 14. They were doing what they were told. 
And one of the most ignorant things I've ever heard was somebody that said, you know, we're nervous about having children. And an older person said, don't worry, it'll come naturally. And I want her to say, no, 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 hold on. What will come naturally is how you were raised. And maybe it's good and maybe it's bad or maybe it's a mixed bag, a little bit of both. But if you're going to do a good job, you've got to go to school on the season you're in right now. You need to say, I have a responsibility to conduct myself in a certain way at this season in my life. And I need to watch people who have been successful in that season. And I need to educate myself from the Bible and every good book I can find that's written from a biblical worldview, a biblical perspective, so I can know how should I be thinking, how should I be parenting, how should I be as a spouse right now? What does the Bible say about this? I'm at a season in my life. I just had a little thing come over me because I think probably... Ignorance, you know, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Just doing the same thing that was done for you and in your life. Perpetuating ignorance without saying, I love you, done the best I can to raise you, but I know you can do better, you can learn more, you can change things. You can try to improve. And I don't want to take a lot of time. You've heard me talk about my dad before. But my dad was raised by, by, mostly by his mother. His dad was out of his life for the most part. And my dad was maybe in the 6th or 7th grade. He was changed schools constantly. They never lived at the same place. They didn't have any money. Two boys and a, and a, a woman who was a divorcee. You know, many years ago, my dad just died this past year at 88. So this is a long time ago. And his dad gambled. His dad was not a moral man. But what changed my dad was, was an experience with God and godly men in the church where he came to the Lord. And he watched what they did. And I will tell you that when I know, I know too much now, I know so much now, when I look back, I think of what my dad could have been like had he not found God, had he not found godly men. Now change is very difficult. Change is very difficult. And this is all you know. This is all you've ever been. But you can change if you choose to. And you can say, I'm not going to go through another season in my life and be irresponsible for the way I should treat other people or the way I should think. Amen. I mentioned we have a number of, of single adults in, this, in, the, in the house tonight. And in our culture, the stigma against that it's just unusual because in the Bible, you have people that dedicated their lives to the Lord and never married. And there was nothing, there was nothing wrong or weird about that. Jesus Christ, the perfect man, never married. And the Bible says that you know, he's cut off out of the land of the living. He shall declare his generation. When Isaiah 53, Isaiah is prophesying about that. He's referring to the fact that Jesus never had children. And who will declare his generation on his behalf? He never fathered a child. And we don't have any problem saying that Jesus was our perfect example. And if he wanted to speak on the family from principles, we wouldn't criticize him because he never was married and had children. We would say he's speaking truth from the Bible. And he had authority in his life. So I'm just talking about relationships tonight and success and the seasons of life. 
I want to talk just a little bit um, in, in your career years. You know, the success of doing the best you can with what God has given you. I think it's important that we're responsible. I know Brother Jury spoke last week on financial responsibility and, and kind of a broad stroke at that. There's so much to talk about. Right now, uh, having Financial Peace University in our church. But not spending everything you make when you're young and you don't have much income and you've got children to raise. You're just trying to make ends meet. But over time, it could be another toy, another thing, another season of life where you're not really getting it all together again. And it's important through your working career to know that this season is going to change. I'm 60 years old. I love what I do. I thank God that I feel healthy and strong and passionate. Made a commitment that I will continue to do what God has called me to do as long as I'm viable, as long as I'm passionate. And I ever get into a circle the wagons mentality, I will find something else to do. I don't know that that's my nature, but this church and my ministry deserves the best it has. But I would be a fool to think that I am not going to continue aging. I would be a fool to not prepare for the day when I'm not able to be actively involved in ministry. As sure as the sun came up this morning, that day will come. So for many of you, how is retirement looking? And how are you preparing to deal with the time in your life when you cannot work? Men especially, but I think all of us, are defined by what we do. We have a claim to fame. And when you're no longer able to do that, will you feel worth less? Was it what you did that made you worthwhile? For some parents, you know, that being needed by their children is their identity. When their children no longer need them, then they feel like they've lost who they are. You've got to change yourself as you go through the seasons of life. Not your fundamental character, your personality, but your role is going to continually change and you've got to assume that new role. And to me, and it's later in my notes, would love to age gracefully and die with dignity. I decided that I would not participate in a midlife crisis. But I didn't want to get to the place where I felt like You know, no, my goodness, what happened to me? I can't throw a ball as far, I can't run as fast, and so now I've got to prove it another way. I'm not saying that I'm not human like every other person in this room. But when you go into that season of life, you have to accept it. I talked to a gentleman, and I have to be extremely vague about this story. He was positioned that he should have been and received the reins of an organization. But the founder of that organization, on his deathbed, would not turn loose of the reins of that. You think surely then he could say, I'm about to die, you're the man, take it on. But he had spent his lifetime holding on in that, that power. And I don't mean in an evil way, that power was who he was. For whatever reason, maybe I don't understand all the reasons, he was never able to let go of that responsibility and so the organization suffered because of that. And I want to say to all of us that we need to be preparing for those days. We say, well, that's a long way off. And everyone over the age of 70 here tonight would say, not nearly as far away as you think. And I'm not there, 
But I'm just telling you, the Bible asks the question, what is your life? It's a vapor. It's a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then it passes away. You know, some of us that are older would say, you know, man, if I could just be young again. But walk up to a teenager and tell them, these are the best years of your life. And they would say, are you serious? Do you see this pimple on my face right here? I was a youth pastor, remember? And I've seen a lot of teenagers that resented that because, you know, we're looking back and say, what a great season of your life. And they're saying, you know, my face is breaking out. I don't know what to do with my future. My girlfriend just broke up with me. My parents are going through midlife crisis. They don't understand me, they think. You do understand them more than they know. And these teenagers, the ones that are in the crowd right now, and Brother Joel is talking to them about you know, parenting. I have two books in my library. One is How to Live with Your Parents Without Losing Your Mind. And the sequel is How to Live with Your Children When You've Already Lost Your Mind. I love those two books. The best years of my life, which, which years are those? Well, Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, remember your Creator now in the days of your youth. They're pretty good years, right? But they're still seasons, and they're still responsibilities and challenges. And I have these in my notes, but you know, they're challenges of youth, youthful lust, and Job's comforters. The young man said, nobody wants to hear what a young guy has to say. You know, wisdom with the, is with the aged. And when you get older, there, it has its own challenges. Uh, in Psalm 71, the fear of being forsaken. Uh, the Bible speaks about a man named Barzillai that David dealt with. And, and he said to David, why should I go back to Jerusalem with you? I can't taste what I eat or drink. My taste buds aren't that good anymore. And he said, I can't hear the voice of men and women singing anymore. It's kind of a bummer. I don't want to go back to Jerusalem. I think I'll just hang out here. This is just where I am in life. Isaac, the father of Jacob and Esau, experienced impaired vision in his older age. And you know, somebody called it the metallic age, where you have silver on your head, gold in your teeth, and lead in your feet. Someone said, you know, go when you bend down and tie your shoes, think about if there's anything else you want to do while you're down there. Ecclesiastes 12. I want to read it in a, in a New Living Translation, a phrase-by-phrase phrase translation. And I'm going to read it exactly like it is. So there's one little statement. I was trying to think of how to not read, but I thought, you know, this is true. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth before you grow old and say, life is not pleasant anymore. That is a season. Remember Him before the light of the sun, moon, and stars dim in your old eyes. And rain clouds continually darken your sky, tearing up. 
Remember Him before your legs. The guards of your house start to tremble. And before your shoulders, He calls them the strong men stoop. Remember Him before your teeth. Your few remaining servants stop grinding. And before your eyes, He calls them the women looking through the windows see dimly. Remember Him, verse 4, before the door to life's opportunities is closed and the sound of work fades. Now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then their sounds will grow faint, loss of hearing. Remember Him before you become fearful of falling. Someone in our church, an elder, fell today and they're taking her to the hospital. Fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets. Before your hair turns white like an almond tree in bloom. And you drag along without energy like a dying grasshopper. Can you see, you know, Solomon was the kind of guy who observed a lot. So I guess he was watching a dying grasshopper one day. He was always observing and learned from that. And a grasshopper is typically hopping. But he sees a dying grasshopper. And he envisions an old person, an older person, like that. And then he says, And the caperberry no longer inspires sexual desire. You're like Abraham, you're just old. Remember him before you near the grave, your everlasting home, when the mourners will weep at your funeral. Yes, remember your Creator now while you're young, before the silver cord of life snaps. And the golden bowl is broken. Don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well. He's using three different illustrations of something that was once useful that has been destroyed by brokenness and in this case death. For then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Now Solomon Ecclesiastes is telling us to remember God when we're young But he's also saying, don't forget that there is a season of life that's coming to all of us if the Lord tarries and if we live long enough to grow old. Now, my dad passed away at the age of 88. He would have been 89 this past October. I'm 60 years old. My brother Darren is a pastor in Miami, Florida. Darren's four years younger than me. And he told me the other day, he said, you know, when I watch dad really struggled with so many things, heart failure, kidney failure. And our dad was always very strong and fit and carpenter and athletic guy. And Darren said, my brother Darren said, I told dad, I'm not sure I want to live that long. He said, when I get to be about 65, I think I'm going to start skydiving and doing all kinds of dangerous things. I don't know if I, and I thought, yeah, just wait. When I was 30 years old, I'd been asked to, to lead uh, Jackson College of Ministries. And I kind of grew up there in Bible College working there. And it's too young to be over that school. But uh, they have an annual football game between the freshmen and the upperclassmen. And the freshmen asked me to be their quarterback. My secretary said, oh my goodness, the freshmen have asked Brother John to be their quarterback. It's made his whole year, you know. So we were playing football and I loved football. I'm not very big, but I grew up playing too much tackle football. And I uh, kept the football, and two upperclassmen hit me at the same time, and I wrenched my knee and tore my ACL. And uh, 
other cartilage damage around there. It was just really a bad injury. But didn't have that full surgery. It's a long story, but I was pretty bummed out about that. I mean, I'm 30 years old. I've got a lot of responsibility that has just been given to me, and I think I'm going to have to have this big major surgery, which back then was much worse. You know, this is 30 years ago, and six months of rehab, and I just can't fathom it. And my youngest brother, David, who's six years younger than me, calls me up and he said, Daryl, I heard that you're really bummed out about having to have knee surgery. And I said, David, I really am. He said, you just need to be thankful you've had 30 good years. (laughs) I was so, we have a great relationship in our family. We're pretty plain spoken. I said, are you serious? (laughs) I mean, believe it or not, at 30, there's still a few things I think I want to do. Not ready to like bring the wheelchair on, I'm out of here, you know. But he was out of season six years younger, and in his mind, man, 30, you're just like, you know, they're gonna lower the age for art to 30 in his mind, you know. Aging gracefully. Paul said, he called himself Paul. The aged. Now, he probably wasn't old by our standards in this modern era. David told his son, I go the way of all the earth. Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. In other words, people in the Bible who had a sense that they had lived all the seasons of their life and had come down to the final mile, accepted that we go through the seasons of life. And we pass from this life to the next life. And if you've lived well and if you die right, then the next season is just a doorway into eternal life. We used to sing that song. I mean, it was old when I was young. Never grow old. Never grow old. In a land where we'll never grow old. There are benefits, I guess assets and liabilities of every season. And in the Older years, the Bible said that wisdom is with aged men and with length of days, understanding. Everybody in this room that is old enough to be an ARP, whether you are or not, you've lived long enough to say, I've seen that before. You have the perspective of years that young people cannot have. And the season of life we're in, I believe, for those of us who are you know, older adults, is to love, to believe in, and invest in the next generation. To build a relationship, not to be a cranky old guy that I could become, where nobody wants to be around me and make my world smaller, but I want to love and believe in that next generation where they want to sit down and ask me questions and hear what I might have to say. The Bible said that the silver-haired is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. And probably the mission of those elders in our church, Psalm 71, 17 on the screens. Oh God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have shewed thy strength unto this generation, and thy power to everyone that is to come. The mission of every elder, and not all of us in this room are elders, but I'm talking about seasons of life. 
The mission of every elder should be to make sure that the next generation knows God like we knew God. I don't mean a watered-down faith, a dumbed-down faith, but in the power of the Spirit and the energy and truth of the Word, we should live to affect the next generation. Amen? What a worthy goal to age gracefully and die with dignity and to know that when we face the last enemy, which is death, that we pass through that doorway into an eternity in the presence of God. Amen. I'd like for you to stand. I'd like for the worship team to come. I wasn't sure if we would sing. And uh, I would like for you to gather at the front of the congregation, uh, the altar, the, whatever this is, yeah, the sanctuary. And I want us to pray tonight for those that are not in this room. Because we have children, young people, young adults, young families that are in classes now and we need to invest time in them because that's a special time of life. When I was involved in youth ministry, there was a guy named David Elkine. He's 84 years old according to Google today. And he wrote several books. One of his books was called The Hurried Child. And one of them was All Grown Up and No Place to Go. And they said that David Elkine was lecturing somewhere here in the States. And he was talking about stages of life and how children mature into adolescence and then into adulthood. Just kind of covering those stages of growth. And while he was teaching that, some parent in the audience raised their hand and asked the question of David Elkine. He said, is there any way that we could speed this up? And they said that David Elkine responded by saying, only in America. Only in America would we try to get our children to act like teens and our teens to act like adults and our adults to act like children. But only in America would we try to say, can we rush this up some? Can we kind of plow through this season to get to the next one? What we really need to do Those of you that are grandparents or parents of of small children, they're that blade, you know. We need to just celebrate that and say, don't be in a hurry. These are the best years of your life. And then when they hit those tumultuous teenage years, early puberty and the hormones are going crazy in those teenagers and they haven't had a rational thought in two years. I'm just kidding, sort of. You're in a wonderful season of your life. I know it's tough. Peer pressure is tough. Forming forming a unique identity is not easy. Dealing with the temptations of youth is not easy. This is a season. Just chill out. Love God in this season of your life. And on and on it goes. I'm not going to repeat all those seasons. But you understand what I'm saying. Be where you're at when you're there. This is a saying that I coin for myself because it's easy to be preoccupied. It's easy to always want to be over there doing something different, being someone else. But here we are right here in a wonderful season of life. God ordained season of life. 
Now, you may not be doing very well in this season of life, but this season is ordained of God. I'd like for us to just pray. And I'd like for us to ask God to help us be where we're at when we're there. Not try to go back and be something we're not. Not go back into a second childhood or adolescence. Let's just be who we are, where we are right now. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. May I ask you, God, to help me have a right attitude and outlook on life and the seasons of life. I pray in Jesus' name for the men and women in this room that you would help us, oh God, as instructors, as elders, many of us, to believe in and love the next generation, to not be jealous of the attention heaped on them, for we're trying to help them get through their challenging seasons, to grow into maturity, so that they, Lord, can know you like we know you. So they, oh God, can grow through the seasons of their life, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically healthy. Help us, Lord, recognize that this is the day that the Lord has made to rejoice and be glad in this day, in this season. And I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Would you just lift your hands to the Lord or your heart to the Lord and just thank Him Thank Him that you're here right now. Thank Him right now. Amen. Amen. I give you praise and honor, Lord God. I give you praise, Lord. Just going to read a little scripture while you're worshiping there. The book of Hebrews 13. The promises through the seasons of life. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will be your helper so you will not have to fear what man can do to you. Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, here we have no continuing city. It's all about change, but we seek one to come. Amen. I thank God that through the good times and bad, the seasons of life, that God is with us. Amen? Amen.